0: Hello and welcome back to Redirected. My name is Andrew East and this is a show where we sit down with celebrities, athletes, entrepreneurs, really anybody who has experienced a pivot or change in life at some point or another, we all go through them. So I wanted to sit down with people who have gone through these pivots well in hopes to hear some entertaining stories and also glean some wisdom. So my story is that I uh, went from studying civil engineering to playing in the NFL to now creating digital content full time. There's been a lot of pivots. And um, I realized that so many people, really all of us, have really interesting career pivots. And so that's the inspiration for the show. And today we sit down with Brian Zidin, who is the CEO and co-founder of a company called Regora. Now, Brian tells us the story of how he created this company. It's really entertaining. Um, But congratulations to Brian. Uh, At the time we recorded this, he had raised... A good amount in capital, but they just announced that they raised $30 million uh, in a Series B fundraising round. So, congratulations to you, Brian. But Rigor is a company that essentially helps take the headache out of residential uh, property valuations and appraisals. And this is a continuation of our Forbes 30 Under 30 series, where we sit down with young, exceptional people who have a vision and ambition to change what our world looks like. He talks about how he came across this idea and how he kind of fit Baked it till he made it. And I think he has some really good wisdom to share. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing your feedback. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the show. And if you enjoy it, please give it a rating and subscribe to it on whatever platform you're listening to. Uh, We are on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere where you can listen to audio. So we much appreciate that. And if you want to find out more about Brian and what he's up to, including all about his company, Regora, we will link that down below. But let's go ahead and roll into this one with Brian Zidin brian thanks for joining today it's a pleasure to meet you yeah thanks for having me andrew i'm excited listen so i was doing a little perusing did some background checks on you saw that you've bumped into bo burnham saw that you met khabib now you and i are here talking i i feel honored to to be in the presence of a celeb like <laughs> you right now but are you a ufc guy
1: i'm a huge ufc guy i've been following it since i was like teenager go to we've been to a bunch of fights in vegas it's uh yeah. One thing that I follow super closely. Wow. And is Khabib your guy? I love Khabib. Um, I, love, <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm conflicted because McGregor was also like my hero, like went to uh, one of Connor's like fights before he really broke out and became the star that he was here in Boston, actually. Um, but, you know, I don't know. You got, I respect greatness. Khabib is, is certainly great. You know? I don't think anyone
0: can deny that. So I don't know if the name Luke Sanders rings a bell. But he's a he's a Nashville guy is in the UFC. I think the last fight he was in was maybe like a year ago. And I we used to train at the same gym. And the, the time, so like, you know, football workouts are mostly bench squat and like power clean. This guy would go in here and do like wall balls for like an hour straight or he'd do like, uh, like bear crawls for like 30 minutes. It's like it's just a different mindset that you have to be to, to, to do fighting. Anyway, that was a digression. I'm curious, Brian. Um, I love to start off the show by hearing about people's backgrounds, the foundation that has led them to where they are today. So give us kind of the potted version of, of mm-hmm. what your parents were like and how you got to where you are right now.
1: Yeah. So I grew up actually right outside Philly. So I'm in Boston now, but I grew up side, right outside Philly there. Um, what's called the main line quote unquote. Um, and, uh, yeah, I went to like what a regular that? public what high school. <laughs> I don't know like how I got that name. I, th- <laughs> I think, it, yeah, I think it's, I think it's from the train like, because it's just like part of that line. Um, I gotcha. but yeah, just like classic kind of suburb sort of thing. Um, went to, like I said, public high school and, um, you know played sports my parents are pretty pretty normal my dad is a is a doctor my mom was a nurse before she had um all the kids sort of thing i have two older sisters as well so nice. my, my, my dad's a doctor um and yeah so just kind of had pretty pretty like normal like you know regular childhood i'd say played sports in high school um goofed off and uh eagles fans yeah, came- over there or what yeah, so yeah, we we um we used to split season tickets with some people in our neighborhood sort of things. So I used to go down to uh the Eagles games a bunch growing up. The Donovan McNabb era and all that sort of stuff Sick. was, you know, yeah, so it was pretty pretty it was I grew up in a cool Philly sports era like Allen Iverson, McNabb, like that whole um I don't think they I mean, we we were close a few times, but but never actually sealed the deal. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah. But uh but yeah, so Pretty, pretty, pretty normal upbringing, I'd say. My, my parents were definitely, um, I mean, anyone who grew up with me in high school will know. My, my parents were definitely, I would say, like quasi-tiger parents sort of thing in terms of, um, you know, always wanting more and better and, and that sort of thing. But, that, you know, beyond that, pretty mm. pretty normal.
0: How'd you end up at BU, Boston my so my
1: sister lived in boston for a little bit i was so my dad was a doctor i thought i was going to be a doctor for like the first you know 10 15 years of my life sort of thing so i went to bu they have um like just amazing hospitals here in boston like mass general and like their amazing research and all that so i came because i was pre-med for the first like two and a half years of college
0: and what made you ultimately switch
1: it was fun. I mean, I like that stuff. It's interesting. Um, really, one of my and I, I give this guy a shout out all the time. One of my college roommates. He um, he he grew up or he he's from upstate New York. His family owns like this you know huge mobile home park business um, in in the real estate side of things. And his dad never went to college. I always thought it was like super interesting how these guys made this like multi million dollar business. Um, didn't you know like he just was a scrappy entrepreneur sort of thing. So started reading like, you know, real estate investment books, uh, entrepreneurial books, that sort of thing kind of got into, you know, the idea was that I would do real estate investing and things like that in the future. And then slowly started learning about like money and time and, and all that sort of thing. And just didn't want to be in school till I was like 32, you know, in med school sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then, yeah, just switched to business right away.
0: So is that a different roommate than Will, who you ultimately co-founded Regora with?
1: That is a different roommate, yeah. Yeah. Nice. So, Will, I, I had two or three uh, roommates in college. One was, yeah, this real estate guy, and then the other was Will, and then I had two other dudes that I live with.
0: And at what point did you and Will decide you wanted to start a company?
1: Well, Will was. So, Will had been cooking up schemes from the start. So, like I, like I said, <laughs> the first two years or so of college, I was pre med, but Will. Um, grew up in like middle of nowhere, Connecticut, and he's been coding since he was like 10 years old. So he was just one of those like strappy street coder kids. And, uh, he was, you know, he had a bunch of different weird things that he tried to do in terms of like, you know, dorm room dining, like delivery service, or like he was drop shipping wallpaper at some point, like, um, for like, like wallpaper, but like, you know, never worked out. He kind of had like the whole, he would be on a project for a month or two and then scrap it and go on to the next one sort of thing. Um, and then, you know, by the time I switched to, to econ, I was like a junior, um, uh, he was abroad in China, um, just studying abroad. And then when he came back, you know, um, which was, I think was like the beginning of summer going into senior year. We basically just decided we're like, we don't, we do not want to get jobs. So we got to figure out like whatever we can do in the next eight months to like not have to go get a real job sort of thing. Um, and then you know, I ended up getting an internship at a big commercial real estate uh, company, which kind of led into the whole Regora thing that we are now doing today.
0: Was the, was the internship intentional, like learning grounds to to build the, were, were the ideas already in progress for Regora? And so you're like, let me get some experience or it was just a coincidence? No, not,
1: not ways? at all. I, honestly, it just weirdly came together based off of my past internship. So the, the first internship that I had, I was like, an intern at this private equity company that where literally all they would have, it was a squad of interns, just like a room of unpaid young people, uh, like a factory line sort of thing where we would just find contact information of like people who own local companies and hit them up and be like, Hey, do you want to sell your business? to so, you know, and then we would hand it off to the guys if they said yes. And it became this whole sales funnel sort of thing. So my first internship got like some exposure into just like private equity stuff in terms of, prospecting for companies, that whole thing. And then, you know, wanted to do real estate because like I said, I was interested in real estate investing and whatnot. Like if you Google, if you Google my name, like really long, where where I really got started, I was posting on like real estate forums and stuff. Like, hey, how do I get experience in real estate? All of that. People recommended that I go get an internship at like a big brokerage because you see a lot of the business. Um, So I got an internship at this company called JLL. Um, And then we saw that brokers we're, you know, JLL is like the number two company in the world for commercial real estate brokerage. And the brokers were still kind of knocking on doors and cold calling. So the gist of what we first got started with was not rigor, which is like appraisal tech, which, you know, I'm sure we'll get into. Um, but it was we started our own real estate brokerage. So beginning of senior year, we basically combined my skill set with wills, which was let's figure out a way to programmatically reach out to thousands of property owners, just like I did at my first internship with company people and then you know try to broker investment deals sort of thing. So we started up this company it was called Sonder Partners. It was like just really regal like we were just trying to be not 22 year olds who like you know didn't know what we were doing sort of thing. just pretend that we were some like wealthy royal family. Um, so Sonder Partners was born and we could basically we made you know he made this algorithm that could programmatically hit up thousands of people throughout Massachusetts. So, we would just basically spam out emails being like, hey, you want to sell your property? Hey, you want to sell your property? Um, And, you know, we work with very sophisticated investors in your area, like pretending that we were way bigger than we were, sort of thing. Um, I would skip class and then go, like, show these buildings to investors. And we sold like $5 million worth of real estate doing that throughout my senior year. So, it was kind of ridiculous.
0: (laughs) And so, I understand Regora was born literally just from talking to people. Can you explain more about how that kind of garnered momentum for the concept?
1: Yeah, well, we didn't know anything, right? Even when we were brokering these buildings, like we still didn't know much about the process at all. Um, and so we were just kind of winging it. And, you know, the, the we so we, we had some success, right? But eventually you run out of people to just programmatically email. So we were looking for like the next idea to kind of go do. And as we were brokering these buildings as part of like the financing process you know the the buyer has to get the building appraised so an appraiser walks in who you know the average appraiser was like 65 year old with a clipboard sort of thing um, really low tech really manual process we were like oh that that seems like it could use some revamping with some technology sort of thing so then you know I just started cold emailing a bunch of appraisers calling them being hey can I just learn about your business hear any problems that you have any any of that sort of thing and so would then just kind of drive out to like these appraisers homes watch them do their work and yeah just learn the business by just like literally shadowing people like that
0: so i'm curious it sounds like you're a little bit like will your co-founder in the sense that you're always in this process of looking for something that would kind of stick uh you know he threw out and scrapped multiple concepts beforehand what was the difference with those concepts that got trashed and regore like at what point were you like oh my gosh this actually is has hope
1: that's a good question i mean honestly i feel like for him a little bit of it was just boredom like he probably could have powered through like with some of that stuff <laughs> and yeah. and seen the light at the end of the tunnel um i think for us you know, first of all, it got like pretty real because we had graduated and it's like, all right, well, if this doesn't work out, then we have to go, you know, apply for jobs and all that sort of stuff, right? right?" right. Um, So we kind of had to make it work. But also there was just kind of real demonstrable traction in the market. Like we got good feedback from the actual users. Like, yeah, no, this is great. Like we'd use it. So I think, um, you know, I always joke because a bunch of, you know, everyone's had that friend or Someone that's like, "Yo, I got this idea for an app. It's gonna crush it. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. we're gonna be this next big thing." And then, but they don't actually like ever go talk to people about like whether they would actually be good or not. They just like think that they that the idea is good because they came up with it. We it was kind of the opposite. We had so many people telling us that this problem existed that you know we kind of you know had just direct proof that it was
0: going to work. How did you attract your first couple of users? Like, that, I feel like that's a big big issue that a lot of people have too is hey you know you've been doing a 65 year old with a clipboard you've been doing this this way for 40 years let me let me just switch things up for you that's tough right yeah it's
1: a good question. no it is it, especially because like um, yeah just that kind of inertia to change in terms of like adopting new technology adopting new anything right um, I think that we you know there's like this like curve right of like people who are early adopters of technology and processes versus like people that aren't like the stodgy ones over here. I think we just talked to enough people, enough appraisers and enough like lenders that we stumbled our way into finding those early adopters who were willing to like take the bet and that sort of thing. Hmm. So I think um, people probably end up getting discouraged because they're like, they're talking to the right types of people, but not on that spectrum the night then you know, not the right ones. So I think we just got lucky and talked to enough people in that regard.
0: All right. One more question on, on this note, you mentioned with Sonder partners, there's kind of this, uh, in order to gain traction, you needed to act like you already had previous successes. You've mm-hmm. been to Vegas multiple times. It sounds like I'm sure you've seen plenty <laughs> of people out there who put on like a front that's pretty hollow when you dig into it. What's the balance? Cause I do think it's super important to have the confidence, um, and, I guess scrappiness to like have enough confidence in yourself to be like we can do this you just have to give us a try Mm -hmm. and in order to do that we're gonna you know kind of conflate some things over here what is what is the line (laughs) in your eyes between you know absolutely faking it and just getting yourself an opportunity to, to get in the door
1: that's a, that's a good question. Probably a very <laughs> fine line, right? Because like, <laughs> yeah. you know, I am am a fan of fake it till you make it to, to some degree because yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, no, look, I mean, now, right, we work with like dozens and dozens of financial institutions throughout the country disrupting appraisal. In the beginning, though, we were like a couple of 22 year old knuckleheads that had to like convince people to give us that chance. And if, yeah. you know, people thought that we, they were like the first ones doing it, they may not have been willing. I think like the difference is like, can you actually deliver what you're going to say? Like if you're just completely mm-hmm. fraudulent, like, you know, that's one thing. If you're going to actually truly believe that you kind of end up providing value, then like, I don't know, maybe the ends just, you know, maybe the means justify the ends a little bit in that regard. So, um, I guess you got to have like a yeah. tight, tight moral compass in, in that regard.
0: <laughs> Cause I, agree. I, I'm a big fan of fake it till you make it too. But on the other hand, you see people who do it poorly and it like, I just detest some some aspect of it. If I guess it's it, it, you're probably right in the deliverability factor. But um, anyway, transitioning back to Regora, I would love to hear about what you guys do. Fill us in.
1: Yeah, I mean we're we're basically you know the goal of Regora long term is to kind of do what like Kelly Blue Book did for cars. So in that like completely commoditize you know, residential real estate valuation and kind of make it more digestible um, versus what it is today. So like today, things like the Zillow's estimate exists, if you're familiar with like the whole Zillow's estimate. Um, But like automated valuation models like that in professional real estate, no one really takes them seriously. So if you're like the mortgage lender or the home insurance company or like Goldman Sachs buying mortgage-backed securities, like if you've ever seen the big short or something like that, um, yeah. Like no one takes the Zillow's estimate seriously just because it's, it's not very accurate in terms of kind of at scale. Um, but like the margin of error on it isn't to the degree that people are comfortable with it in terms of like lending big sums of money and whatnot oftentimes. So today we have this appraiser who's this like human who goes out to the property and physically verifies kind of the information about the building, right? So they kicking the tires around, they're doing an inspection, they're writing things down on the clipboard, physically looking at it, verifying, and then kind of delivering a value. And um, it's just, it's super slow. Um, like right now, especially with kind of how crazy the market is right now, you can imagine like global pandemic and, you know, super low interest rates. Like it, if, if someone's trying to get a mortgage or something, it takes weeks to get an appraisal done. So there's this big problem in terms of like, how do you make, and, and similarly, like most consumers, when they're like buying a property for the first time or putting their house for sale, they have no idea what. The property is truly worth, like definitively. They got to rely on a broker, pay them 5%, you know, all this stuff. So, the, the long term goal is to like empower residential real estate valuation as much as possible for everyone involved and kind of make it more digestible and easy to do and all that sort of stuff. Today, what we're doing to kind of get to that future place is kind of like an Uber style platform between banks and appraisers. Mm. So, if you have, if, if a bank is trying to order an appraisal, we have like this two sided platform that links them directly to the right appraiser and kind of facilitates that whole thing A to Z with like, you know, the Domino's pizza tracker of the status of the appraisal through all that. So we basically today make the appraisal better, faster, cheaper, and in the future want to make valuation like, you know, as easy as possible. So let's say that you're going to, you know, renovate your home in Nashville, you want to switch out the bathroom tile with something new, you would know maybe what that's going to contribute to the ultimate value of your home sort of thing. I and mean, you know, even that kind of level of granularity.
0: There's a lot of stuff to unpack there. I would love to, to <laughs> hear you touch on the the concept of market preparedness. So in some ways, it's too big of a leap to, to roll out that end goal product that you have in mind, right? So mm-hmm. how strategic was it to take that first step before you get to the, the end goal?
1: No, yeah, you are exactly correct. Like it's really hard, especially when you're in like a really, you know, like the financial services, financial technology industry, there's tons of regulations. There's, you know, a lot of inertia in terms of just people have been doing the same thing forever. So to go from like zero to one is really difficult. You kind of need to drag people to the future a little bit. Um, And so, you know, working with industry stakeholders to kind of get there is what you got to do. And so kind of delivering the first version of the system gets our foot in the door with these folks, you know, gets us into the market, starts building up this network um, where we can slowly start working with the relevant people to kind of transition to that future. If you go, if you go like too far ahead, you can almost miss the boat. So like, I don't know if you follow like blockchain or any of the like, you know, that sort of new tech, like it's almost like too ahead of the curve for commercialization in a lot of industries sort of thing. Um, You know, so you kind of got to, you got to incentivize the existing stakeholders first, and then kind of bring them there, versus like um, just jump right there. So it kind of depends on the industry, but that's at least how it is for for us in financial services.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Um, Also, talk about Will is a a technical founder. How important was Mm -hmm. that as you as you sought fundraising? It was super important. I mean, because. Especially with like
1: people with no track record at all, right? We had to demonstrate that we had uh, some ability to actually deliver on what we said we were going to do. And so being able to like build a product and not have to spend a bunch of money to go hire people and then kind of get initial user feedback and all that sort of stuff is, is absolutely crucial. So if we didn't have him, then it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have worked at all because I can't code. So we wouldn't have been able to like produce the initial traction, wouldn't have been able to go raise the money and, and kind of all that stuff. So I always try to recommend people to to team up with someone like that.
0: Yeah. And then last thing is, what was the strategy for for rollout once you had a product that was ready for use? You know, people talk about Facebook just starting at Harvard and then rolling out to college campuses and Mm -hmm. then expand from there. Was there a slow and steady release like that or was it splatter the map?
1: No, it, it was definitely slow and steady because similarly, like, you know, we just rolled out a product, young team, not a lot of people. Um, we're not going to go sign Bank of America like the next day. You know, what I mean, first of all, the, like we probably wouldn't be able to handle that And at the time. And then second, like, you know, would Bank of America have been willing to take a bet on like a four person company sort of thing? Pro- probably not. Right. So we started off local here in New England, um, you know, worked with like small local banks first, kind of built up logos and reputation and worked out any kinks then moved on to the next biggest lenders and then kind of Mm -hmm. spread it from there. Um, So you definitely got to kind of build up that initial, at least for enterprise software, you kind of got to build up that initial credibility and then kind of go from there. And um, yeah, I mean, it was mostly just me doing all the selling in the beginning. Now we have like a sales team and a chief revenue officer and all that. But you got to be just like as scrappy as possible to try to get in front of those kind of early customers.
0: Yeah. So the traction has been real I believe you have over fifteen million dollars in funding uh how fun has it been to see the concept from birth all the way to now where you have a, a team to manage and these big stakeholders to get involved?
1: I don't know if fun's the right word <laughs> but you know <laughs> it's it's definitely a it's definitely a roller coaster um it's definitely stressful i I'd say it's fulfilling right like it's definitely um Cool to see when you work on something for like nonstop for you know years straight to see kind of that materialize in the real world. Um, you know, we like we try to celebrate our wins, you know, when they come, but it's also at the same time, and maybe this is probably similar, right? For someone like yourself who's like you know very successful, ultra competitive, it's also like always a little bit of like, all right, what's next, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so like all right, how do we how do we get this even better and how do we keep going? So, I think um, my, me and my co-founder always joke about it. I think it's I think this is the right term. But something called like the hedonic treadmill where it's like back in the day when we first got started you know, raising 500 grand was like insane and amazing and like ridiculous. Now I get an investor who's like, "Can I toss in a little bit of money?" It's like it's like not a big deal at all sort of thing. Yeah. So I think um, some of that loses, you know, momentum over time sort of thing, but it's always good to kind of, I think the next level of the journey is kind of always the thing driving you there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I experienced that in my athletic career where it's like coming out of high school, I was not recruited by any big colleges, right? Then Vanderbilt gives me a scholarship because of wild circumstances. So I go play in the sec, which without a doubt is the best football conference. I don't, really know how you feel about mm-hmm. that coming from philly maybe a <laughs> penn state fan but uh then it's like now i'm now i'm at the sec like playing in the sec then it's like well maybe let me see if i can go pro so then i signed my first contract and it's like well let me see if i can play five years in the nfl and get tenure and all this stuff and it's like oh what about and it it just never ends at some right. point like i think it's a, a fine line of the appreciation for how far you've come and then also like realizing that maybe your potential is more so continuing to be ambitious but not getting mm-hmm. not getting so caught up and always trying to pursue the next thing but i'm curious what what do, are your goals do, now go ahead
1: well well i was just gonna ask before do you think that that's real like you always hear that like thing of like oh you gotta appreciate it while you're doing it but it's always from the people who are like way further ahead you know what i mean like do, when, when you yeah. when you were going through that like you know high school to college like were you like wow like I'm appreciate or were you like, Oh, I got to get to the next phase, next phase that like, or, or now looking back, you kind of feel that.
0: So that's interesting. I think once the treadmill stopped, that's, that's when I really embraced that uh, philosophy mm-hmm. where like I got cut from the chiefs, which was my first team in the NFL. And like up to that point, it was just momentum was building and all of these dreams that I never even had before were happening. Uh, and then I got cut and then I like wanted it. I wanted that dream of playing in a game so much more badly. Right. And right. it took me, it took me five years to get there. So at some point, probably like two or three years in, I was like, I was like, wait, you know what? I've accomplished like a lot, but it was when the treadmill had to stop first. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? All
1: right. Well then I think I'm yeah. still so a long ways away from, <laughs> from having the appreciation.
0: I hope the treadmill doesn't stop for you cause you guys are on a roll right now. <laughs> but, uh, what is, what, what, what are your goals?
1: Like personally or or you mean with like the company specifically?
0: Let's talk about Regora first and then your personal.
1: Regora, the goal is to, like I said, just completely transform valuation and um, yeah. and really just take over. Like we're we're in kind of one of those businesses where um, you can actually kind of build like a, a big moat, like monopoly type of thing type of thing. Like it'd be it'd be super hard to start an Uber today, right? And we're trying to build out like a similar type of moat in that. so we we think we can take over like the whole the whole industry and um you know like we're young guys no like families to take care of sort of thing so we we got a lot of runway in terms of taking that home run swing Mm -hmm. um personally i have no idea what comes after that (laughs) like that's that's you know i always go back and forth it's like do you go do the like you know post up on a beach for for five years or whatever and (laughs) just like do whatever or do you to like you know go do some altruism and like give back like i i think i probably won't know until i get there but i i what i realized back when we started was like in order to even have those kind of considerations you kind of need to be able to have financial freedom so that's kind of step one and then and then figure it out from there at least personally
0: yeah how many hours a day would you say you work right now brian
1: from dusk till dawn i mean like it doesn't stop I had a phone call like 10 p.m. last night with an investor sort of thing. Um, It it, it depends on the day. I would say pretty much every day except Sunday, at least, you know, seven to five or six. And then probably like intermittent stuff at at nighttime sort of thing. Um, It's definitely a lot for sure. It it never turns off.
0: Yeah, it's it's fun in the sense of like, you know, that you're going to look back and really appreciate this time of like grinding it out you know like when you look back on your sports career and like whether, like for football we had 4am workouts and you hated it while you were doing it but then you look mm-hmm. back you're like wow you know what that was actually that was worthwhile for me to do I don't know if I'd want to go back but it was good
1: <laughs> yeah that's the thing I don't think anyone ever is like yeah I'll go back Or like, similar thing for um, it's funny people are you know I was like oh like Trust me, money's not the answer or whatever. But I don't think anyone's ever given the money back, you know, (laughs) so I I don't don't know.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's so funny and true. Um, I'm curious, Brian. So (laughs) as young as as young as you may be, you've you've accomplished a lot. You've experienced a lot uh, successes and failures. What are three things that you've learned or maybe someone has told you that that you could share with us today?
1: Um, I think the first is that I think that um, a lot of limitations that people think that they have are really kind of self-imposed. Like I think that once you kind of get out there and try to do things, um, you learn that you can like accomplish way more than what you may have originally thought. So I think, you know, not establishing self-limitations and and really kind of dreaming big is is the number one thing. Number two, and this is a little bit back to like the whole fake until you make it. I mean, you definitely got to dream big, but also you you got to surround yourself with people who have been there, done that before, like mentors sort of thing. So I've learned, you know, significantly to lean on people who like are better than me or more knowledgeable than me in in mm-hmm. other, their respective domains. So definitely like um, super important to kind of reach out. And then number third, and maybe this isn't true because like you, you have people like Elon Musk, who were like apparently sleeping in the factories and stuff like that but um i also think kind of having some balance in terms of like taking care of yourself regardless of what you're doing is important to kind of hmm. it's a marathon not a sprint and so i think you know i've gotten better at that over time but definitely kind of took it learned it the hard way that you do need to kind of get some r and r and all that throughout throughout the
0: process have you ever run a marathon brian
1: no, I don't ever plan to. <laughs> <That> <laughs> I, 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 I the the people the people that do that are crazy to me. I, I'm a terrible runner.
0: Yeah, no, me too. I that was the last time I was in Boston though was to run the Boston Marathon, and it destroyed me, bro. That wow. was speaking of the hedonic treadmill. That was the one time where I was like, not. Nah, I I went off this thing. Like I don't want to do <laughs> that. I don't want to do the next mile. But anyway. Yeah. Um, no, was, that's, that's did you just do that
1: like randomly?
0: So we did it cause my wife kind of coerced me into it and then she ended up getting pregnant. So mm. she didn't even freaking do it, but I was already too deep into training to give it up. <laughs> so I did the Boston marathon and then the next day I had to show up to, uh, my first day of, uh, off season with the Redskins. So. I got, uh, I was so, I was so destroyed. Anyway, it's a story for another time, but the R and R thing is so important. And for whatever reason, I feel like recently I've, I'm a big book guy, not necessarily novels, although I'm up for those sometimes, but like I've randomly read a couple books that are all along that same philosophy of like, Hey, there's more work is super fulfilling in your, like in your life and you should have purposeful work, but also there's other good things in life too. A couple of them are like the, the ruthless elimination of uh, hurry was one book. Margin is a good one. Essentialism. Um, I'm not, that's, that's a pretty popular one within the entrepreneur space anyway. So I, I appreciate that perspective, but, uh, I also appreciate you joining us today. It was an honor to meet you, man. I'm excited for what you're building and for what's next. Uh, we're going to be following you over here and let us know if there's anything we could, we could do to help.
1: Yeah, no, I appreciate it, man. It's great to connect. And uh, yeah, look forward to, to catching up again sometime soon.
0: Cool, Brian. Thanks.